and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about pop-up and in-furrow fertilizer. And I realize if you're a corn or soybean farmer, you're thinking, well, that's like seven months away. But nevertheless, if you're starting to think about equipment for next year, it's always a good idea to get out in front of these things, especially with some of the supply constraints we have with equipment nowadays. So anyway, we'll talk about that throughout the show. If you've got any questions for us, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. One of the other reasons why we wanted to talk a little about this pop-up and in fertilizer thing is just simply this. Fertilizer prices are sky high right now. And because of that, there are a lot of people talking about cutting, a lot of people talking about banding, and a lot more talking about, you know what, can I just for a year get by applying fertilizer with my planter and then next year, if prices go down, fertilizer prices go down, I'll go back to broadcasting and doing some other things like I normally would, but I just don't know if I want to do that right now. Okay, so as we start this conversation, I just want you to think about this. What's your goal here? Is it to minimize cost? Is your goal to maximize yield? Or is your goal to maximize profitability? And this was a question that I was asking a lot as I was going around doing meetings with farmers around the country here for the last month, month and a half. And I, I just said it like this. Number one, you don't ever want to cut stuff that's making you money. But number two, how do you know which specific nutrients on the farm are actually making you money? Are you guessing? Is somebody else guessing for you, like your fertilizer dealer, your consultant, your agronomist? My point is you need to put together your yield data matched up to your soil tests. And when you do that, it's in some cases potentially life-changing. It was for us. We've been doing this for three years now, matching up all our GPS points with soil tests to yield. And because of that, we can put nice little graphs together, and then I don't need to listen to anybody else tell me about fertilizer and their opinions. I've got my own data for my own farm. And in our case, for example, it's showing me more potassium pays. And as much as I hate the fact that potassium is more than double in price what it was last fall, it's still going to pay for us on our farm. I got the data to prove it. Now, on the other hand, we've got a couple of nutrients where the, the chart, the graph is it's basically flat or maybe even down a little bit. The point is this. When yields go up and I can't see any correlation to why those yields went up based on a couple of nutrients, am I really going to invest money in those nutrients? Probably not. I want to invest in things like potassium where, and again, this is just for me and my farm, but I'm just saying on our farm, higher levels of potassium basically equal higher yield. It's almost a, a direct correlation. So that's the kind of stuff we want to spend our money on. Well, but especially anyway. on a year like this, Brian, too, that potassium comment, just having availability on a dry year, it's tough. Well, and that, that that's the next place I was going to go is when you put dry fertilizer out, I can promise you there's some dry fertilizer that we put out last spring that is still not 100% fully broken down. There's no way. We did not have enough rainfall. And because of that, it makes me think, all right, 
what am I doing with my overall program? It's not just about, oh, I'm going to go broadcast a bunch of stuff to build soil. We do like broadcasting and using dry to build soil. But we love using on-the-planter fertilizer, pop-up, in-furrow, maybe even two-by-two in some cases. But anyway, we like fertilizer on the planter, and we'll use liquid. We use low-salt products. We want to have stuff that's readily available right away because, let's face it, we're planting into cold soils. You probably are too. And when the soil is cold, a lot of nutrients aren't available. And when the soil is cold, your roots aren't growing super fast. But your plants still need nutrition. So these are some of the reasons why we take a look at the in-furrow, or as some people call it, pop-up fertilizer. We we do really like that, but we got to be careful about rates. we got to be careful about salt, especially in drier areas. But we'll talk about that as we go throughout the show today. All right, uh, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, Brian, uh, get this one. I, I love these kind of questions. So this one comes from uh, uh, UF, who said, you guys are talking about Roundup-resistant weeds and burning things down and, and all the weed control deals. I'm just curious, what do Brian and Darren's yards look like? Do they have the weeds under control at home? You know, that's a great question, UF, and uh, we we don't live in a utopia where weeds don't grow. Weeds absolutely grow, so we definitely have to do okay. some of these things at home, too. All right. In my opinion, there are two different ways to look at things. You can either manage things based on looks, or you can manage, manage things based on making money. I really don't give a rip about looks half the time. <laughs> I care about That's why you're making on radio, money. obviously, yes. <laughs> right. But my point is, I don't really care that much about the yard. I really don't. And yes, my yard is relatively weed-free. But still, what I do care about and where we spend our time is on things that are making us money. So we, we do take a hard look at the crop, and I'm much more willing to invest money in the crop than I am my yard. All right. Thanks for the question. Uh, speaking about yard, now the yard question, this comes from Logan. He said, I'm wondering when you're spraying your yard with, with a 2,4-D type product, how much 2,4-D do you put in per gallon of water? Do you try to soak things? Do you try to go really fast and have very concentrated spray? How do you like to do it? Go fairly fast and have concentrated spray. I, I feel that works much better. There's no point in having a bunch of herbicide land on the ground. It doesn't do you much good when you're talking products like 2,4-D or just about anything you're going to use in the yard because they don't have much soil residual. Certain products out in the pasture, like if I was using Tordon or Milestone in the pasture, then it's no big deal because those products have tremendous residual and we can end up with some on, on the ground. So anyway, what I usually suggest to guys is we want to look at what's the use rate, what's the full use rate, figure out how much I'm actually going to spray with my tank and then work it from there. So usually it's a few ounces per gallon, but if you're not uh, <laughs> uh, killing the weeds, you might have to go stronger next time. Stay tuned. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards. And that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. 
Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're talking about some of the pop-up and in-furrow type fertilizer options there are today. And Brian kind of set the table by saying, Fertilizer is expensive this year, and a lot of folks that we talk to are saying, you know, I got to look more seriously at how could I band it, how could I be more efficient with what I'm doing with my fertilizer, and that that's kind of the genesis of uh, our discussion today. Let's head down to Arkansas, get our friend Matt Miles with us, one of the top yielding farmers that you're going to ever find. Uh, Matt just does such a great job on on raising high yields that we wanted to talk about fertility. So, Matt, uh, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. Yes, sir. Glad to be here. Okay, so when you think about this uh, pop-up and in-furrow market, I, I talk to a lot of guys that are getting big yields, and they know they can't put everything in furrow. And I would say just about everybody I talk to that gets really high yields has said, well, I've pushed it too far before, and I've learned my lesson. Where are you at in this process with in-furrow? Do you still put a little fertilizer in furrow, or are you, are you running away from that? No. We actually are probably doing more today than we did uh, three years ago. Uh, when we first started, you know, corn's relatively new in, in, in our area, say, seven, eight, ten years. And we didn't run it early, you know, in our, in our career planting corn. Then we started running some. We wasn't seeing – we were seeing a yield increase, but maybe not always a, a positive ROI. But the uh, last two years, <clears throat> you know, through, you know, our affiliation with Extreme Ag and being in that group, we've started looking at it in a little bit different way. Um, we've made some of the, you know, the bad mistakes like – like y'all were talking about earlier, too much salt content. Um, you know, we've actually put it out and, and actually got a negative uh, yield response from it because we, we went with a cheaper cheaper type product. So my advice there, we picked up, you know, anywhere from 6 to 12 bushels an acre the last two years using a pop-up. But what's, what's really impressive to me is we've added a PGR, uh, and there's several different ones out there on the market, but we've added that PGR in furrow with a pop-up, and there's a synergy there. Can't really explain uh, yet exactly what it is, but like, for instance, last year on our test, uh, pop-up only was, a, was, say, a three or four or five bushel increase. I'm not looking at the numbers. And then 
it combined with a PGR was in the nine to twelve range. And you know, we tried a little PGR without pop up, and it's something to do with that synergy of making them work. Now, hundred percent recommend you know a, pretty much a full ortho type product just to you know keep a, a good healthy root system. Yeah, that PGR addition is really interesting. We do get a lot of questions around that because there's lots of different ones out there. We're hearing guys that are using seaweed-type products to get the PGR impact that's in there or just buying straight-up PGRs. We hear a lot of gibberellic acid to try and jump things out of the ground, but also uh, other things like MegaGrow with IBA and cytokine. And so lots of PGRs there. I'd say still most of the market's not using them. So I'm betting as you're you're doing some speaking and, and different things you're doing with Extreme Ag, you probably get asked about that PGR piece quite a bit, Matt. Yeah, you know, we did at y'all's at show. That was one of the, you know, questions that came up. And I think everybody in our group, you know, is pretty much on the same page that it's, it's making a difference. You know, I'm I've, I've got to see something proven, and, uh, you know, and, and last year we did it, and it and it proved it to me. You could drive by the field, uh, V3, V4, V5, and you couldn't see a difference where I put the infer, and I didn't. It was just one of those years. And so I thought, well, we've we spent some money here that, that we probably shouldn't have had, but by harvest it, it really paid off. So this year we took two competitive products and ran those, and I'll tell you something else we did. Every field this year, and this was by plan, we left out 36 rows with no infer of any kind, 36 rows into the field, which would be three passes for our 12-row our system. Then we kicked our infer on, and then we had multiple tests. We probably had 40 tests with with two different PGRs, and, and they were relatively statistically the same as far as the yield bump. 100% of the time they gave us the yield bump. And uh, but one of them was a little cheaper product than the other, so that's probably what we'll go with this this coming year. Wow, that's good. When you get a hundred percent positive results in forty trials, that's kind of a no brainer. And I I just love that idea, Matt, of leaving check rows in every field to make sure stuff's working so you can learn. That's that's fantastic stuff. Well, and it was able, you know, if we knew we know what side of the field we start on, so we automatically left three passes out. So we had that in every cornfield we had. So if we forgot to do two or three of them, you know, there was another 150 of them left to do. And, <laughs> and every one of those paid dividends this year. Wow. Hey, great stuff. Uh, talking with Matt Miles down in Arkansas. Matt, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on and look forward to talking to you again. Yes, sir. Good luck with harvest, guys. You bet. Thanks. Yeah, we got a long ways to go here. Just just about to get rolling. Let's head over to Indiana. Got Jim Camberato with us with Purdue. Jim, how are you doing today? Oh, not too bad. How are you? Well, pretty good. Pretty good. I, I do like, uh, so Matt's on talking about taking out some of these trials in the fields. One of the things I get most excited about at harvest time is just seeing all the new things that we're trying out there and see what kind of yield data we can get. What kind of trials have you got going this year in terms of fertility and then this topic of pop-up and inferro fertilizer? Got any trials on that this year or you got some data to share from previous years? Yeah, so we... Um we have a few uh, starter treatments, uh, starter experiments this year, just with a row starter and different uh, plant populations. Um, Dan Quinn is a new corn extension agronomist with Purdue, and he had done, done some studies uh, while he was down in uh, Kentucky where there was some interaction 
between uh, starter fertilizer and plant population. And so he wanted to get some more data related to that to see if it's uh, more beneficial at higher plant populations than at lower plant populations. So that's what we have going on this year. Um, in the past 10 years or so, we we did a lot of work with pop-up and row starter. Um, row starter gave us uh, you know a greater effect than uh, than pop up, but uh, and then we combined them in some in some of those studies, and and uh, so there was a, a little bit of effect of a, of adding the pop up to the two by two starter, uh, particularly as it related to uh, plant development, faster plant development, and uh, drier grain at harvest. So that those were our primary effects from pop-up with a row starter about 40% of the time or so we got a yield increase. Okay. Yeah. That's the one that everybody talks about. And, and if you're not certain you're going to get a yield increase, are there still some other benefits? I love that you mentioned that you can get the tassel faster. You can hit maturity a little bit faster. We've seen this quite often on our farm too, that even if the yield isn't there, if you're making those mid season or mid season observations, you can notice some difference between mm -hmm. the plants a lot of times. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, at harvest pop up and it was just three gallons of ten thirty four zero. Um, Grain was on average half a percent drier. With row starter, dependent on the end rate, the higher the end rate, the drier the grain. And it, it averaged uh, between one and two percent uh, drier at harvest, which wow. is, a, is a big difference. Oh, that's a lot of dollars. Uh, and, yeah, and on average, close to two percent. In some cases, the grain was two and a half percent, two and a half points drier. At harvest, um, so yeah, that saves a lot on the on the propane for sure. How about speed of emergence, um, of Jim? Do you do you see that? Do you see a growth difference early? I know we talk about the term pop up fertilizer. Do you see stuff getting out of the ground faster necessarily? Yeah. So when I was I was kind of thinking about this this morning, what we might talk about, um, uh, we definitely see faster plant development. We didn't look necessarily at emergence versus faster leaf development, but the later measurements we made, we made them every week to 10 days from oh, the V2 leaf stage all the way to tasseling. The later suggests that the main effect is just making those leaves come out faster. Um, but there could have been... Uh, benefit to emergence we, we just didn't measure we so, didn't measure it and it could be part of the part of the effect yeah i think it's neat there's a lot of different factors here when you get that plant started with fertilizer really close to the root system talking to jim camperado here with purdue jim thank you so much we got to run but great talking to you and we'll talk to you again soon stay tuned we'll be right back if you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. 
Learn more at caseih.com slash pharma. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash howler to learn more. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from Farm Shop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit FarmShopMFG.com for more. AgPhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the AgPhD Insider magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the AgPhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, talking pop-up and in-furrow fertilizer on the show today. And I've heard a lot of numbers about how many farmers are set up to do in-furrow or pop-up type treatments. I've heard that number around 40%, and it's one of those things that you can definitely do aftermarket, but you can also do that ahead of time when you're ordering a planter in as well. we got David Brennan on with us right now with Case IH to, to talk about this situation a little bit and the equipment around putting that fertilizer in the furrow. David, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. Hey, you bet, guys. I'm uh, down in Grand Island, Nebraska here at uh, Husker Harvest Days, and that's one of the things you see a lot of different adaptations of, of liquid fertilizer uh, gadgets uh, around the show site for sure. Okay, so when you're putting together planters and farmers are ordering planters, how many are just telling you right up front, look, I'm going to be doing some in-furrow with my planting? Yeah, so so as we look at, you know, what we we you know, typically build for planters that have a, a in-furrow application system, it's about half of our, what I'll call our uh, typical corn 
planters and it'll be in a 30 inch configuration. So about half go out uh, with that liquid fertilizer system. And, and there's some concern there of growers asking questions like, oh, it's going to mess with my productivity in a, in, a, in a situation where I'm already crunched for time. And, you know, we, we walk through that capability of carrying, you know, a fair amount of product on board up to 600 gallons. So we're not having to stop and refill. We match it with a seed well um, and, and, and rate control is well beyond what it was. And there's some concern that, you know, it's going to drip all over the planter. And we, we walk through how that is, is definitely not the fertilizer system of the past. Yeah, a lot has changed. There's no doubt about For that sure. at all. And, you know, when we think about making our stands uh, jump out of the ground a little bit faster, I don't necessarily think about fertilizer as, as the thing. I, I think about all the things that go into uh, getting the seed placed right, getting good seed-to-soil contact. I'm assuming at Husker Harvest Days you're probably getting a lot of questions around, hey, how can I make my planter perform even better? Have you got some new exciting stuff coming out, David? Well, for sure. And so, so that's, you know, if, if we continue on down, you know, that customers ask about, well, how are we applying that liquid fertilizer? And everybody's got an idea of, of how they want to do it. And, and we've got uh, a rubber boot applicator that's tucked really in behind those opener discs and behind the seat protection shoe, which lays it in furrow uh, very, very well, very, very effectively. Uh, no splatter, no spray, does an excellent job. And we can control it from rates, you know, from three to, and really as, as high as we would ever want to go in furrow. Um, so it gives us a lot of flexibility, and, and it's not going to really impact that seed placement and, and cause issues down the road with seed-to-soil contact or, or germination really and, and impact yield eventually. You know, you get so many questions, David, throughout the year, and I know as planters are getting bigger, there's there's questions around that too. What do you see with that? I, I, we've got we've got big equipment right now heading down the road. Do you see it getting bigger? And is this going to be something that also uh, makes it even more of a challenge to to get that great seed placement and even emergence? So you know, we can attack that with size, right? And do I see that getting much bigger? Um, I don't necessarily think that's the case. I think we're going to do it uh, more efficiently with a, with a smaller size planter, so picking up, you know, uh, some additional ground speed, but doing it, um, you know, more intelligently with with more feedback to the operator in the cab to make sure he's doing a, uh, doing the job correctly. So that may be a guy that's going from five to to seven or from five to six even, but but getting more done in that peak window of of that peak yield opportunity window that we we look at for the different areas. So really just increasing the ground speed, even a small amount, um, not necessarily to that 10 mile an hour that the industry buzz or even 12 mile an hour that's talked about sometimes. You mentioned carrying up to 600 gallons of product on on that planter, and I I know this is always a challenge. A lot of growers talk to us about that. What is the best way to do this? Should I be pulling a cart behind? Should I be adding tanks onto the tractor or onto the planter? I'm sure you've seen every different con- configuration possible. How do you see guys spreading that load out, trying to to minimize compaction yet yet still, like you say, not having to fill every five minutes? Yeah, absolutely. And, and for those guys that are putting on those high rates, and for for some of those customers, it makes sense to to pull a, pull a caddy of some type. Uh, for some growers, that just doesn't work. If I'm backing into corners, or I have smaller fields to deal with, and and so we'll carry it on board. But 
you know, uh, some things have changed with, with planter technology and carrying that 600 gallon of product. It's, it's, it's tracks underneath maybe that really help minimize that ground pressure and, and minimize the, the pinch row effect. It's, it's tire technology that's changed a lot. We look at, at IF and VF tire technology to distribute that way. We look at things like wing weight management where we're applying or trying to minimize the weight on that center section uh, where we already have the seed on there for that weight and, 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 and trying to help distribute that weight across the entire width of the toolbar. So there's a lot of pieces that go into it as we carry that additional product, whether that is seed or or fertilizer up to, to 600 gallons. So, you know, I, I, I still see some customers put it on their tractor, uh, and that's fine. Um, but uh, I guess the trend that I see more is 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 a little bit more on the planter itself. David, do we get so many guys talking about doing this and, and doing it in different ways? One of the concerns that I know our dad always shared with us is, yeah, we're putting fertilizer on. That's salt. And that's got a chance to create some corrosion and some other wear and tear issues. What concerns do you have around that? Do you have any advice for farmers to try to keep the equipment in the best shape, even if they're using fertilizer? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, we and it's one of the things I've mentioned before, it's not the, the liquid fertilizer system of, of years past, right? And where we've, we've got now on the, on the case, I truly rise or 2000 series planner, a wet boom system that, that really is, is, uh, does a great job of carrying that product out um, across the toolbar and then drip checks so that we're not, when we pick up on the head hands, uh, slobbering fertilizer, if you will, around and the wind blowing it back on the machine for you. Um, the, the drip checks, if we do have an orifice that plugs, we're off to the side of the row units. We're not, we're not taking that apart directly over top of the row unit and drip on that fertilizer on there that, that can cause that, some of that corrosion. Um, so, so, I mean, it's definitely come a long ways from just dragging a piece of a hose across the toolbar and maybe getting it pinched in areas and causing problems where we have that, that blowout of that line, if you will. So, um, you know, don't, don't see a lot of that, that issue anymore. And, and I, you know, still recommend, and we still recommend in our operator's manuals that if we are using that liquid fertilizer, we do want to, we do want a liquid product. We want to blow that or wash that planter off um, on a regular basis just to minimize any chance for that as we do have a lot to, a lot of electronics on those things anymore that provide that feedback to us in the cab. Sure, sure. All right, David, one last question for you. Husker Harvest Days comes at an opportune time. You're you're uh, out in Nebraska. You get to see how these crops that everybody's been bragging about all year. We've heard Nebraska's got a good crop coming. What do you see out there? Yep, so uh, it's a common question. I've asked people that uh, seen come on a lot this morning here, uh, multiple guys, and Everybody's pretty positive. Says it looks pretty good. Uh, one one grower just uh, south of the show so show site here last night, combining some beans, just kind of kind of uh, dipping his toe in the water, if you will, there and checking it out. Looked a little green to me, but uh, for overall, I guess the customer attitude's been has been pretty positive, and they're excited to uh, to really get rolling on this fall harvest. Yeah, it's going to be fun to see how some of these things turn out. Yep. And a lot of it comes down to doing a great job with that planter up front, setting yourself up for success. We're talking about pop-up and infro fertilizer, but certainly this is a big topic, making sure all that seed goes in exactly how you want. So we got David Brennan on with us today with Case IH to talk about that. David, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Good luck at the show. You bet. Thanks, guys. See you. Bye. All right, Brian, the, the in-furrow 
pop-up type fertilizer, liquid fertilizer we're often talking about. David talked about just all the weight that guys end up carrying in some situations, trying to not have to fill so often. There are some challenges. It's not the easiest thing in the world to do, but it's something we've been doing a lot of, just putting at least a gallon or two in the furrow to try and get an early start. Yeah, like I was saying earlier in the show, it's cold when you're planting, and you got to give that crop every possible advantage for good emergence and having a good stand. All right, we're going to talk a little bit more about fertilizer, but also answer some of your agronomic questions in the Ag PhD mailbag coming up. When it comes to commanding herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. New Farm brings you Panther SC, an animal when it comes to speed of control and long residual on a broad spectrum of tough broadleaf weeds like mare's tail, palmer amaranth, and water hemp. And did we mention convenience? Panther SC works in pre-plant, pre-emerge, and post-harvest systems and keeps your rotation options open. New Farm and Panther SC, here to help. Fill once, plant all day. The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. When you're ready to harvest more corn, Drago is ready to help. The proven Drago Series 2 cornhead with automatic self-adjusting deck plates beats competitive brands for harvest efficiency. And the new Drago GT features integrated deck plate ear shocks for unsurpassed yield capture. Harvest more, return more with a Drago cornhead. For more information on Drago cornheads, go to dragotech.com. That's dragotec.com. Weed control without the BS. That's more time to apply without wasting time. That's flexible tank mixing that doesn't bend the truth. That's near zero volatility with unmovable principles. With the Enlist weed control system, there is no sacrificing. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. Ag PhD has one mission give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome 
back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Oh, so many questions when it comes to fertilizer. Anytime we bring fertilizer up, Brian, we generate a lot of feedback, and especially this year when fertilizer prices are high. Yeah, so let me leave you with a couple of things on this pop-up fertilizer discussion. I would say point number one, do not get too much salt in the furrow. We really worry about high salt products. Just as a quick example, 103040, it's a high salt product. So in corn, we usually talk about three gallons at the most in a 30-inch row because that gives you five pounds of salt per acre. In soybeans, you got to do almost nothing. I mean, literally, it's almost nothing. Also, to safen it, then you're going to want to put water with it. So make your three gallons, five or six gallons by adding some water. And I know you might say, oh, man, now i got to carry more stuff. Yes, trust me. It will work. It will help safen that product, spread it out better. You'll get better results. You'll have less damage to the plant. So I'd absolutely recommend you do that. Get yourself to five or six gallons throwing some water in. Now, what we usually do, rather than using a high salt product, we'll use low salt products. So that's why we talk a lot about the agri-liquid stuff that we use on our own farm. But just find a low salt product, keep the rate relatively low, and you're going to be much better off. And just understand that soybeans are way more sensitive to salt. And by very definition, fertilizer is salt. So we got to be careful about how much salt you're, you're getting anywhere near that soybean seed. Be really careful with soybeans. Be pretty careful with corn. And then you're usually in pretty good shape. So beyond that, I would just say you can try different blends. So just as an example on our farm. We have found that we need a lot more potassium in soybeans than in corn. So we'll actually change our ratio a little bit and get a little more K out there when we're talking soybeans as opposed to in corn, we're doing a little bit more phosphorus than potassium. But we do like having something out there that's relatively complete. In other words, we're not just doing NP and K, and granted the rates are really, really low, but we're throwing just a little bit in terms of micronutrients out there at the same time. So yes, we like it. Yes, I would say there is an advantage most of the time, especially in cold soils and in low fertility ground. But let's put it this way. Even if you don't gain much in yield, usually you can get a better stand, a faster stand, quicker emergence. And the other nice thing in corn is faster dry down with that. So a lot of times it's one to two points drier in the fall. For us, that's a big deal. If you're in the south where you don't care, then, you know, it may not it may not pay very well for you. But certainly here in the northern United States, infer or pop-up fertilizer used in moderation in a low-salt product can generally pay off fairly well. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. All right, so first of all, let's take this one from Josh in South Dakota. He said, just want you guys to know. Uh, some of my friends and family don't see the point of knowing all this information about soil tests, but I'm finding others are surprised and excited by my enthusiasm. I've been farming 11 years now, and I've really enjoyed all the information you put out about how to read and utilize the information from soil analysis. So thanks for doing that. Really appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Josh. We really appreciate hearing that too. And and uh, yeah, I've loved your questions over the years too, as you've been, been working on a lot of the same things we're working on here. Uh, get this one from Matt. Uh, he said, I put a tile project in and just wanted to talk to you about what I should expect from this. 
First of all, where I'm tiling, I've got high sodium levels, 7 to 12%, high magnesium levels, 47 to 60% magnesium on the base saturation test. And, of course, the, the other parts of my base saturation are low. My potassium, 2 to 4. My calcium, 27 to 45. Now, my pH is mostly 7 to 7.9 with all that sodium out there. And that leads to my questions. First of all, will Mother Nature wash the sodium out on its own? Will that no. lower my pH too much if it takes all that sodium out? Well, you you can't worry about that. You got to get your calcium levels up, and you got to get your sodium levels down because right now that soil is half dead. Well, more than half dead. It's probably 80, 90 percent dead. Sodium isn't going to flush out naturally. What you have to do is convert it over to a salt, and you do that typically by throwing sulfur out there. So if you could create sodium sulfate, that is a salt and that is leachable. All right. So his question is, should I add gypsum and potash to speed up the process? Or, uh, or is there another form of sulfur you'd prefer to see me use? Well, first of all, I want to know what the sulfur levels are. Because very often when we have very poorly drained soils, we might see sulfur levels 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 parts per million. If that's the case, you might need to do nothing other than I, I, I would probably consider getting some calcium out there somehow, some way. So I, I, I guess without knowing that, I would just say, yes, I'm interested in using some gypsum, but... I might use some lime if lime was available and cheap. And the more lime you throw out, the more sulfur you have to get out there somehow, some way. So it's a combination of lime and elemental sulfur, or it's gypsum. But either way, you got to get sulfur out there somehow, some way, unless you do not already have a whole bunch of sulfur in the soil, or unless you already have a whole bunch of sulfur in the soil, I should say. So anyway, if you want to send us your soil test, we could sure take a look at that for you. But otherwise, I, I just say, unless you got a thousand parts per million of sulfur, you need to be adding more. And this process is going to take time. Seven to twelve percent sodium didn't happen overnight. That happened over thirty to fifty years, and it's going to take probably thirty years to get that all cleaned out of there. All right. Thanks for the question. And yeah, I'm hoping it's going to go a lot faster than 30 years. It does take some moisture I'm hoping to make so too, happen. But I'm just, I am trying to hedge my bets here and saying hey, this is a long-term project. All right. Uh, I get this one from FS who, who said, we've got St. Augustine grass and uh, another glyphosate tolerant grass. Wondering, if I have glyphosate-tolerant grass, can I put ammonium sulfate in the mix if we are spraying that also? Sure. Yeah, I, I don't see why not. Actually— well, yes, but we're talking about low rates of ammonium sulfate, not uh, 200 pounds to the acre or anything, but two pounds to the acre, absolutely. There's no problem. We okay, like now, having that in there. Now, hold on here because I want to. I just want to throw this out. If you're, Let's just say you're spreading dry fertilizer on your grass to well, fertilize the crop. That's a whole deal. That's a whole different I deal. love That's ammonium not, sulfate, and I'd right. be perfectly fine with a couple hundred pounds. However, if you put it in a mix with Roundup, yes, you can't go too strong. Otherwise, you're going to add so much leaf burn 
that your roundup's not going to work. Now, granted, it's going to take quite a bit to, to make a lot of leaf burn, but that's why they have recommendations on the label. So 17 pounds per 100 gallons of ammonium sulfate is typically the high-end use rate. I know some growers will say, well, I'll just put a couple pounds per acre in. That's going to be roughly the same thing. Those kinds of rates generally not a problem. Hey, thanks for the question, FS. We really appreciate that. Uh, okay, got this one from Jim in Connecticut. Uh, I'm sure this is a good debate at harvest time. He said, so between kernel rows around the ear, ear length, kernels long, or test weight, which one of those three do you believe has the greatest impact on yield? Obviously, they all impact yield, but which one, if you said, I could have more kernel rows around, more length or more test weight would you choose? And then my other question is, your fertilizer removal app, is that set for specific populations of crops or does population really matter? No, uh, to the last question, population doesn't matter. And in terms of what affects it, or what which would I want first, or I would always want rows around first because that's the first thing that gets determined. And if I've got rows around, then I later have the chance to add length and test weight. So I want the rows around. I, I you know, yes, I like, all of them I like that impact. answer too. And I usually look at it this way. If I can get 20 kernels around on that, that ear of corn, even if I'm a few kernels short, I still got a lot of kernels there, but if I only have a 14 or 16 around, man, I got to have a long ear, and that puts a lot of pressure on for the rest of the year. So kernel rows around get developed so early on corn plants. That's why we want to be really cautious about spraying harsh herbicides, uh, having plant food available, like our topic today has been pop-up or, or a starter fertilizer. That's going to be important. So, yep, those are the things I'd look at. I, I would agree. Kernel Rose Round would be the factor I'm looking at the most. Thanks for the question, Jim. We'll be right back with more of your calls and questions after this. Farming is probably the most natural thing for a person to do. It taught me how to take pride in my work, how to put something ahead of myself, whether it was getting up early to feed the livestock or working late to bring in the harvest. Farming taught me to give it my best, no matter the job. My name is Tanner. I'm a farmer. I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. Nothing waits for a farmer. Not the weather, the banker, the crops. It's never at a farmer's convenience. So when it comes to crop protection savings programs, how come they get to ask you to wait for a rebate? Don't wait for rebates. Get the True Choice offer from Corteva AgriScience for instant upfront savings on crop protection products. Ask your local Pioneer sales representative or your crop protection retailer about the True Choice offer from Corteva. But don't wait. Fill once, plant all day. 
The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Same to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD if you have an agronomic question. And you can always email us, radio at agphd.com as well. All right. I uh, got uh, several interesting questions here, and we've been talking about fertility, specifically pop-up fertilizer and in-furrow fertilizer, and a lot of questions around what rates and those types of things in NP and K. But I thought this one was kind of interesting. This question is on micronutrients. Uh, so this question comes from Brian. And Brian says, I got a couple of questions for you guys on micronutrients. Now, when we're thinking about chelated micronutrients, if chelates like EDTA are meant to keep the nutrients plant available, soluble in liquid, and avoid tie-up with the soil, then are they also necessarily more mobile in the soil? As in, do I need to worry about losing them? Are they easier for plants to find with less water? What do you see in dry situations and extremely wet situations? Okay, so... I don't know for sure. I, I just say this. Usually when we're talking micronutrients, it's very, very low rates. I, I mean, when you're putting on a chelate, yeah, how, what's the most you're ever putting mm -hmm. on? It's not like you're putting on 200 pounds of nitrogen, uh, you know, actual. You're putting on a tenth of a pound of actual micronutrient or a half a pound or something like that. So am I worried about leaching? Not at all. Well, and here's the other thing too, Brian, is the level of chelation really varies between products. And there isn't a chart on the label that says, okay, this one has this much chelate and this one has 10 times more. You don't see that. And so there, there are definitely some differences out there. So I wouldn't just say every chelate's going to be the same. I think it is going to vary a lot by product. Now, the other question that Brian has is if these mobiles, whether these mobile 
uh, nutrients are mobile or not. I'm just wondering, how long does this chelation effect last in the soil? For example, if you're using chelated zinc at the time of planting, will it stay available until the later stages of growth? Uh, how long does it really take for these EDTAs to break down? You know, the, the question of availability, I think this kind of gets back to, to your point, Brian. When you're putting out, say you're putting out a quart of zinc, you're really not putting out that terrible much product. And uh, how long is that going to be available? A lot of that is going to get taken up in the earlier part of the season. But will there be a little bit later uh, available for later in the season? Maybe. We do a lot of plant tissue analysis each week throughout the growing season and have for many years. We see better availability early than we do late, but it really depends on rainfall. If we're going to have nutrient that we can get into the plant late in the season. Yeah, I mean, when I'm putting something out at planting time, I'm not expecting it to last season long. I'm expecting it to last for a while, a month or two, and that's then I've got to have other fertility to hopefully carry me on from there. Now, it's possible, to Darren's point, that you could have something that would last season long, but you got to look at how much you're going to remove and how much you're actually applying. So I, I, I'm not counting on it to last forever, no. All right. Uh, thanks for the questions. We appreciate that. This one comes from uh, NG down in Kansas. Last year, our first few spaghetti squash and cucumbers were pretty tasty. Subsequently, though, they became bitter and we ended up tossing them to the chickens. Now, after hearing your show and you were talking about sulfur and how that can help improve taste of garden vegetables, we incorporated 50 pounds of sulfur into our 40 by 60 garden. What a huge difference. Even well into September now, we're enjoying the sweetest squash and cucumbers in memory. Keep now, up the good work. Now, Darren, is that the email that literally said, hey, Darren, <laughs> not... <laughs> guy, yeah, it might it, have. yeah. It might have. The, the reason why yeah because it came in i think yesterday and i was doing the show without darren yesterday he was on the road and i saw it and i'm like i gotta let darren read it if it was addressed to darren so anyway all right well thank you and gee we really appreciate that i'm glad the garden is turning out great uh that is it's a lot of work and if you don't have great tasting stuff then you're kind of wondering well, what am i doing all this work for so i'm glad it's working out for you this year all right, get this one from Kathy down in Iowa. She said, you guys talked about field bindweed recently as a weed of the week. I was so hoping that you would give a suggestion on how to control it in my yard and my flower beds, but you were focusing on pasture and corn and beans and wheat. So I'm curious what your suggestion would be. I totally agree with you guys. Roundup has just not been effective killing this frustratingly difficult pain in the behind. So I, I'm curious about what you think. I also have some five-year-old trees that I would like to spray around and kill the bindweed once and for all. Yeah, it's really challenging. So years ago, Darren, I had a farmer tell me that using old hornet was really good. That was just stinger and python. Yeah, you don't want to do that around your trees and around your garden. Uh, and, and I sure don't want to do it with a backpack spray yeah. or anything like that nope. because stinger can be hard on the eyes. You can't use Tordon. You can't use, you know, some of these long residual products. So you're basically left with Freelex. That's the new 2,4-D that doesn't volatilize. That's what I would use. I'd hit it hard three times a year for three years, and you'll probably wipe it out. 
Yeah, it, that's the thing. Setting your expectations, Kathy, there isn't something that you're just going to say, all right, I got one thing and magically nope. it's going to wipe it out right. forever. We just don't have that. Nope. But, I'd spray spring, summer, and fall, and you do that three years in a row, and you got it. So I realize that our answer here says spray nine times. <laughs> Okay, and, and you're going to do it, and you're going. Oh my goodness, it's so much work. I know, but we, you just can't use the the thing. I mean, you could go out there with Tordon one time and wipe it out, or you know, there are some other products you could use one time, but you can't in your yard. Okay, I had a neighbor, and she and her husband did a lot of gardening. They had some raised beds, and. Her husband had some health challenges, and so she was going to take a year off of gardening to focus on helping him. She took black tarp paper and and put that down over these gardens and just choked everything out for the year. She had a few weed issues. When she came back the next year to garden, magically, the weeds were toast. So that was one thing that she said, ah, wish I would have known. I could have just put down a tarp over things and I could choke out a lot of weeds. Now with field bindweed, that one's probably going to shoot runners sideways and pop up around the outside of it. But uh, it's something you could think about too, just getting some cover out there over those weeds uh, as much as you can to try and help you out. Thanks for the questions. Appreciate that. Got this one from Michael in Pennsylvania, South Central Pennsylvania. He said, my early harvested cornfields uh, allowed us to plant a mixture of daikon radishes and purple top turnips for cover crops. And I used glyphosate as a burn down prior to drilling these in. Now my cover crop's up and I still have some weeds that managed to sneak through. Uh, in fact, they're very thick in a few places. My local agronomy center recommended clethodim with a heavy rate of crop oil. I'm disappointed at the amount of grass that it actually killed, and it didn't even take out any of my broadleaves. So I'm wondering, do you have a better recommendation when I have a brassica cover crop mix like this, or am I in big trouble? Well, Michael, uh, that's a challenge. When you plant a mix of crops... A lot of times there aren't selective herbicides. Yeah, but that it's, would just, work for, it's just it's just brassicas, and I I, I don't know. Um, you know, we don't have a lot of broadleaf herbicides I can think of off the top of my head that are going to be great in that. But I, we, I, I was hoping you were going to save this for tomorrow, Darren, so I could do my homework on that. Because uh, other than clethodim, which only kills grass, yeah, I don't have a fantastic answer for you today. But we'll we'll do a little more research on that and see what else we can find. All right, uh, I got this from John over in the UK. He said, I heard you guys talking about tram lines. Do you know who designed and built the first automatic tram liner? Nope, I don't, John. I, I'm not sure how long that's been, been going on. There have been tram lines in agriculture. I'm well, did you read his whole thing? He's saying he did. Yeah, there, there's a whole, there's another oh. hole. There's oh. a oh, she only printed out part of that. Oh. Yeah, there's a, <laughs> your very next thing there. Okay, go uh, ahead. I see. Uh, uh, I, uh, it was actually me in 1967. Okay, <laughs> not well, there Darren, we the, 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 the <laughs> yes, author of this John. email. John, oh my John, I'm so sorry. I I saw the first message here and I missed the second one. So uh, that is really cool. Uh, 1967 tram lines have been out so we do talk about tram lines quite a bit it's been a really useful tool going through crops like cereals for example where you've got established tracks that you can drive through instead of having to drive over crop we see less disease in those situations we see higher yields in fact i visited the world record grower of wheat down in 
New Zealand, and he just swears by tram lines. If he doesn't have tram lines, he said, how can I be out in the field as much as I need to? So really cool idea, John. Thanks for sharing that story. We really appreciate that. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.